One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? Well, I'm fine. It's fair to say I've completely failed in my career as a TikTok influencer. Um, Now I've tried to do a couple of my children are just laughing at me and critiquing them. And, And I say, well, what's good about it? And there's this sort of stunned silence. And then when I ask, well, what's bad about it. Obviously, they've got plenty to say. So that's a whole lot of fun. Um, but who cares about TikTok today? We're going to care about great books because honestly, get your wish list out and get typing because I've got, well, I've got three books that you definitely need to read. I've got one that you really should read and one that, well, it wasn't a bad book, but I've got stuff to say about it. So just get ready because I can't wait to talk to you about some of these books. So the first one is a book called Off Target by Eve Smith. I'm going to be talking to Eve today. Then the next book is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Then we've got The Key in the Lock by Beth Underdown. Uh, Then we've got Still Life by Val McDermott. And finally, The Seven Sisters by Lucinda Riley. Why did Philippa read that book, you may ask, or will be revealed? Um, That sounds quite weird, doesn't it? Or will be revealed. Anyway, there we go. Right. Eve Smith. Um, Eve Smith wrote a book called The Waiting Rooms. It came out a couple of years ago. I absolutely loved it. Um, I wrote about how much I loved it. And would you believe now, if you acquire a copy of The Waiting Room, my name will be printed in that book. Uh, saying what I thought about it. So as my husband pointed out, I am now published. My words have been published, so I don't need to think about writing. It's all done. Um, So when I knew that this second book was out, I wanted to read it and I wanted to interview Eve as well. Um, Because crikey, when Waiting Room came out, I was just doing the book reviews. I wasn't, uh, well, yes, I was doing the podcast, but I wasn't doing author interviews. Um, So a lot has changed in that time. So it's great to be able to talk to Eve and find out more about how she gets these ideas. I mean, uh, yeah, it... (laughs) Well, let me tell you what this book's about before I tell you how I read it. Okay, here's the book. In an all too possible near future where genetic engineering has become the norm for humans, not just crops, parents are prepared to take incalculable risks to ensure that their babies are perfect, altering genes that may cause illness and more. Susan has been trying for a baby for years and when an impulsive one night stand makes her dream come true, she'll do anything to keep her daughter and ensure her husband doesn't find out 
including the unthinkable. She believes her secret is safe for now. But as governments embark on a perilous genetic arms race and children around the globe start experiencing a host of distressing symptoms, even taking their own lives, something truly horrendous is unleashed because those children have only one thing in common and people are starting to ask questions. Let's go for the first sentence. Well, the opening chapter is a bit of a whammer, so um, I'm going to read you three sentences because they're fairly short. I'm just taking my last swig when the doorbell rings. My hand freezes, glass against lip. Have they come back early? Uh, so I read this book. I went to a place called the Gladstone Library in Wales. If you get the opportunity to go, do go. It's a lovely place, lots of lovely books, and the food is incredible. So it's all the components you could possibly want. Um, and people were there sitting, reading books that were hundreds of years old, some so old you couldn't rest them on a table. You were given a special cushion to ref rest them on so that they weren't um, uh, made in any worse a condition. You know, they were kept pristine. And so there were lots of deep thinking going on. And I sat there and I read Off Target and I didn't care. Um, it consumed me. It was a gripping book. It's easy to read um, in that, you know, like a really good Michael Crichton book. Um, but this one, I'd say there's more research and it's more relevant. But just one, it's sort of got that thriller edge to it. Is it dystopian? No, because it's sort of, it's it's not where we might go in the future. It's sort of where are we, where are we just on our tippy toes from happening now? Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. Really good book. Let's talk to Eve now. I should just warn, her computer was heating up at this point. So there is a bit of background noise when she's talking, but uh, bear with us. Well, Eve Smith, whose latest book is Off Target. Welcome to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Thank you so much, Philippa. Great to be here. Well, my first question, it has to be, although I'm a bit scared to ask it, why this book? Why now? <laughs> Well, um, as you know, and as anyone will know who's read The Waiting Rooms, I do, I do like a good medical scientific dilemma. And actually, I had the idea for this book before I'd even um, finished The Waiting Rooms and before I'd even got my agent, actually, um, because I'd read about genetics and gene editing and how fast this technology um, is developing. And I just thought it was one of those what ifs uh, again. I just thought, OK, so if this is coming along this fast, what would be a good family dilemma that I could throw this technology centre stage on? And I didn't want to just do designer babies because I feel that kind of has been done. So I actually thought it would be more interesting to put it into a different dynamic um, with a woman, you know, who's desperate for a child, who's been trying for a very long time to have a child who then gets pregnant and is faced with a terrible dilemma about whether she should keep her child and gene editing comes to the fore in what she does next. And what a, what a book it is, what a read it is, my goodness. Was it a hard book for you to write? Um, well, in a way, because I'd already had the idea, I was very clear on a lot of the plot so I knew how it, roughly how it would start and I knew roughly how it would end. It's the bit in the middle that's always the hard bit, right? Because you've got to maintain tension. So I did what I normally do, which is I spent quite a lot of time doing research. 
um, because it is important to me that the science is as close to reality as possible, even though it, obviously this is fiction. But to me, the more plausible the story is and the facts within it, the more frightening it is, right? Because it feels very real, very possible. So I'm very lucky in that I had some experts who were advising me on the science. So it was really good. So they, they kind of, I checked in with them through um, through the book. So actually that part, sort of the initial ideas, that wasn't the tough bit. The tough bit was I fell into my normal trap of falling in love with the research so much that I possibly put too much in. And Karen, my my publisher, will tell you that she had to be quite strict with me and I had to cut quite a lot. That was quite tough. So the edits were hard, harder prob probably than the waiting rooms, but the writing kind of, it just went. So was it, were there a lot more words or was that Karen decided you had to cut down or was it just that the, the, uh, the technical stuff that she suggested you refresh? Yes. Yes, I'd kind of, I had, I do tend to fall in love with my subject. So I'd, I'd sort of created quite a lot of, of the news articles. I love the news articles and the adverts. They're one of my favourite things that I do. But I had, they were a little too long and a few too many. So I had to cut those. And then, yeah, just a few of the sort of science episodes I had to cut back on because obviously at the end of the day, it's a thriller and it's important that the pace is maintained. And, and, and so... Um, I think it was absolutely right um, to cut back because now it is a pacey read. That's a lot of feedback I've had is that it is a very pacey read. And I think that makes it much uh, more exciting and you sort of race to the finish. So, so yes, it was, it was a question of sort of doing the edits well um, and just you know, adding in a little bit of suspense. And I wanted to talk to you about the newspaper articles because I thought they were a great way of sort of summarising more of a global view on what you were writing about and more sort of independent uh, way of, of looking at it. Was it hard to pick which ones to include? <laughs> yes, it is very hard, actually, because in Off Target, you know, the, the ramifications of gene editing um, are vast, so what I, I always do when I'm building the worlds is I sit down and I try to think about all the different impacts in different areas of society, in terms of what we do, in terms of culture. I try and think, you know, how would this be different? And then how can I show it? And so you can do a lot of that in the book itself. And I do seed a lot in just in the, in the, in the, in the text without getting heavy about it. But what the news articles give you the chance to do is to show what's going on globally, because obviously my story is quite tight in on a family uh, dynamic and uh, dilemmas. But I wanted to show what could go on and, and, and it really could go on because I researched that very hard as well. What are some of the international ramifications, you know, the political ramifications, you know, what's going to happen in terms of the religious response, what's going to happen in terms of military, in terms of economies, you know, racing to get ahead in the game, because guess what, it's a massive money spinner, you know, all of this stuff I wanted to get in. And you can't really do that without adding in a huge amount of words and distracting from your main family plot so the newspaper articles and the ads are a fantastic way, a very efficient way of just giving you a bit of an overview of those areas. 
And you mentioned about pace and how important it is. And I agree with um, some books of this type, not that there's anything I've come across similar but with books of this type sometimes they get too bogged down in the technical and forget that this is a story with the momentum are those books the pacey ones the ones you like to read yourself I'm interested in where that sort of pace alert is is coming from with you well, I, I read quite a diverse range of things, actually. So I do like thrillers, but I also really like um, family dramas and, um, you know, dramas that really pull you in, like um, Jodie Pico. I really love her stuff, um, which I wouldn't describe as a thriller, um, but I it really touches me. Um, so... So I try and strike a balance of those things, actually. And some readers like that and some readers don't. Some readers, you know, I've noticed that say, well, I love this. But, you know, you went on a bit long about the family bit and we wanted it a bit more high concept. But to me, actually, it's much more um, impactful if I can get an emotional response and an empathy with the situation as well as the thrill. So I'm trying to do both, which is a bit of a balancing act. But that's what I'm aiming for. Um, because it's not just about the idea for me. It's, it's much more than that. I want people to have a, uh, a mental and emotional response so that they're thinking about it, so that it lasts, you know? That's, uh, that's what you need with books that make you think. It's, you've had an actual sort of direct response and a reaction, and I think that requires a bit of time to get to know and love or hate the characters. Well, let's talk about Susan, because we meet Susan, and... Um... How did she come to you? Was she sort of fully formed and she just popped one up, popped up one day, or did she come to you in bits and pieces? She came to me over time. Actually, um, it was very important to me that I built some empathy with her, because obviously, what she does, without giving the game away, you know, she does a very question, you know, morally questionable thing, you know, terribly morally questionable thing. So I did really want to build empathy with her early on because I wanted people to try and understand why she did what she did. You know, she's not out and out a bad person. She's just like the rest of us. She's flawed and she's ruled by certain impulses and emotions. And so a big part of that actually was the background of her infertility. And I had a really, really excellent woman who helped me with that um, who was a friend of a friend who went through about 12 uh, rounds of IVF and ended up having egg donation. She just went through hell. But she came out the other, uh, other side with twins and she actually helps other people now who are going through this. And she was so brilliant, so honest and open to me about the pain uh, of that journey. And so I, I really wanted to make sure I... I did justice to that subject because a huge number of people suffer with infertility issues, male and female. And I also wanted to make that point. It's not just a female issue. And so the beginning of the book, it was very important to me that I build a character who is suffering. You know, she is suffering. She's in pain. And we see her move from someone who's, you know, also quite under the thumb from a controlling husband, um, and uh, sort of coercive control and I wanted us to see her as she changes through the book because she does get stronger and at the beginning you would not believe the stuff that she ends up doing 
by the end. And so I did work really hard on that character arc because um, I needed I needed to show the credible development of her from somebody who starts out being really, you know, pretty much a victim. Um, and she, you know, <laughs> things are still pretty bad until we get to the end, but she finds a strength and she will do anything for her daughter. She is a, she is a mother, you know, a mother bear. And for me, as I was reading it, it felt so visual. I was able to see it as a film and I would expect it. It needs to be made into a film. But were you seeing that as you were writing it? It's interesting because I have been asked this before in that, yeah, when I'm writing, I am very visual. I see it. And um, one of the most useful things I've ever done, and I've spoken about this um, uh, at events in terms of a writing technique is um, the head of our creative writing group way back. Um, he was a playwright and he said, download a script of your favourite film, take a scene from your book and rewrite it as a scene in a, in a, in a film script. And what that forces you to do is you have to take out any, all the prose, all the stodge, that's got to go. So what you're left with is dialogue and stage directions. And I realised just how much more impactful that was. And it was a real lesson to me, A, in how to, to try and craft realistic dialogue, rather than just trying to cram a load of facts in, like how people really do talk. And secondly, I, you'll notice I hardly ever say he says, she says, whatever. I, I show who's speaking through action because I think it's much more interesting. And frankly, I get bored sometimes in books of having he says, she says. It becomes a distraction. So I very much am showing what they're doing, who's speaking by what's happening. It gives you an opportunity to show emotion through an action or a reaction. So I do... I do write visually because that's how I see it. And I also feel it's much sharper somehow. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So if people ask you for tips on writing, is that something you often tell them to do? Because I yes. can just see that as a real trigger to shift the writing. Yes. No, I do. Every time I say this is the most useful thing I ever did, do it definitely do it try it it's a brilliant fun exercise apart from anything else it's a great idea in general terms is it a theme that comes to you first like virus viruses genetic engineering and then the characters and their situation follow through or do you get bits of characters coming through at the same time generally it's the it's the issue um because I'm re you know I read quite a bit I listen to a lot of radio and podcasts and stuff and I do get excited I do I'm a bit of a nerd I do get really excited by science issues and tech and new things that are happening and so I tend to think of that first and then I you have to then you can't just write about that right because it's I'm not writing non-fiction so then you have to think about the what if and that's when the characters come because then it will always be a family dynamic of some, you know, a relationship dynamic. And that's when the characters come. And then I'm not one of these people. Some authors spend a huge amount of time um, working out literally everything about their characters and writing it all down. And, you know, wherever they go shopping, what clothes will they wear and everything, which I think can be an amazing discipline. I don't tend to do that, interestingly, for my characters. I do that, I do that for the issues, <laughs> for the research. I'll go into nth detail about it because that's where I get a lot of uh, ideas for the setting. 
Um, but for my characters, once I roughly know what they are, I start writing them, and it, uh, it does sound very, oh, very arty, but they do come, they do come alive, and I'll go back and change, and I, then I keep a sheet, I use a framework, I'm very tight on a framework, for, so I know what's happening in each cha chapter by act, so I can track where I'm at. And then I add detail in, so I layer it on as I as I as they become much more evident. As you know, once I've sort of written the first act, I know where they are, and then I go back and I I, I sort of you know make sure I've got more depth. Then that sounds quite um, a long process. So you're not the sort of person that writes a book within six weeks and it's done and just needs a bit of editing. I wish. <laughs> um, how long is the process? I would say it's at least a year for me to get a decent draft down that I'm happy to send out. Because I do a lot of, you know, the research, I can be researching for months. Um, and then I'm very finickety around my, you know, I, I go back and edit chapters once I've written them. So I edit as I, as I go, um, I took, because it's about making it tighter. I think with, with, with time and with more experience, I'll get better at writing shorter first time. But I'm still needing to go back and I'd like to tighten it up and tighten it up so um and then I often move stuff around as you'll have noticed I quite like playing with time so I might write it one way and then I think oh actually no let's just move that around and we're going to shift stuff around now and so thank goodness I've got a framework because otherwise I, I don't know how people do it don't use a framework if they've got multiple perspectives and timelines I honestly don't know how people keep it in their heads I can't so I've got my framework so I can chop the cut and paste and I'm, you know, writing in different colours all over the framework. So, yeah, it, it takes me minimum, I would say, a year to get it down. And then you're into probably six months edit, something like that. And then whatever the timeline is for from there to publication. So it's a very consuming process. It, it must take over your life for a long period of time then. Can you let go of the characters once you have typed the end? Well, actually, the thing that I'm finding more so than with the waiting rooms even actually is I'm, I'm finding it hard to write my next one, which I need to be cracking on with, and I am cracking on with, because I keep getting distracted by off-target, because you do have to spend a huge amount of time doing promotion, particularly when you're with an indie. Um, and so, don't get me wrong, I love that, and actually, I am so looking forward to being able to physically go to a festival because I never got the chance with the waiting rooms. We were in lockdown. And so whilst it was hugely efficient doing all the festivals online, and it meant that I did crack along with Off Target um, during lockdown at, at quite a pace, I'm finding this time I keep getting distracted. So um, I do need to... Um, I probably need to focus a bit more on the writing of the next one and a bit less on Twitter. Um but I do treat it like a job. I mean, it is a job. Once I, you know, I get, I'm at my desk by nine, off we go. It is a job. So, you know, I'm fortunate in that this is what I do. I'm not having to do something else as well, other than try and keep a family and a dog vaguely under control. So when people ask you what you do, you are an author. That is your, your thing. Yes. Although I still feel a bit of a fraud saying that. I often say I'm a writer. So I feel like <laughs> I'm an author. It sounds a bit pompous, although I know it's not. <laughs> i did you always know how it was going to end? Well, I knew things were going to go pear-shaped <laughs> very badly. But the actual... Funny enough, somebody on Twitter asked me about the start of the book, 
pretty intense scene for anyone that hasn't read it yet. That one came in later, actually, and I, I love it. I'm really glad I did it because, um, without giving the game away, the far-right um, extremism is a monumentally frightening problem that exists in the world. And it was a whole new window of research for me, which um, I can tell you was terrifying what is going on for real out there, particularly in the States. And um, it added a brilliant, it was just a logical extension of where I'd already got to. And um, I think it, I, I love that first scene. I really love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it because straight away it sort of grabs you by the collar and says to the reader, this this book means business. You know, this isn't uh, this is no family saga. This is this is serious. Um, do you write to escape or do you write to educate? Well, it probably sounds a bit pompous if I say I write to to educate, but without a doubt, I have got an agenda there. Like, I don't want to be didactic and preachy. But I do think these issues, you know, and, you know, antimicrobial resistance with the waiting rooms, gene editing and how they're going to affect family choices for real in the future. These are things that I think shouldn't just be within the domain of the science world or the tech world. These are real issues that need broad discussion and agreement. So I, I do. That is my agenda, and that I want more people to know about them. But I don't have an agenda in terms of telling people what they should think. That is absolutely not the place for fiction. You know, that is not the role of fiction. So what I try to do is show what those issues are, and certainly in Off Target, I very deliberately showed different viewpoints because it's such a an emotive, thorny area, and people have very strong views about playing around with um, human embryos, understandably. So I deliberately try to put different viewpoints there in my characters and it's up to the reader to decide. And obviously with, with two books in now, both of them I love, but let's go back. How did you... How did you get your lucky break? How did you get it all your writing career started? Oh well, well, I wasn't one of those that you know. Oh, going to write a book, and then a year later, or you know, I'm in the Sunday Times bestseller list. It did not happen that way. I can tell you, it was a slog. <laughs> um, so I went into it completely naively, knowing nothing about the publishing industry, which, as I've I've said a few times, is probably just as well because if I'd known how hard it is, what the odds are, and how long it would take. I might never have done it. I might have just carried on doing what I was doing before. Um, so I'm quite glad, in a way, I was totally naive about it. Um, fortunately, my family were very supportive as well. That's important. Um, so, yeah, it took me a long time. You know, it took me a while to get an agent. I, 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 st I had another book, which I shelved. But I did get agent interest, but then I had the idea for the waiting rooms. And when I sent it to them, they just went, oh, yeah, right, this one, this is the one. So it was great because I did have agent interest almost from the get-go with the waiting rooms, which is important for confidence, particularly because it takes so long. Um, so, um, yeah, and, I, and it, I, didn't, you know, I didn't get an agent until 2018. But part of that process, it was really helpful getting shortlisted for the Bridport Prize First Novel Award because I was going through a bit of a moment of doubt. 2017, I was thinking, oh, what am I doing? This is just taking forever. I should be out there having a real job and earning some decent money. And then um, 
the shortlisting was great actually because it gave me another uh, bit of momentum and I did another edit of the book sent it out and immediately got a lot of interest and then ended up getting my agent Harry thank god in uh, <laughs> 2018 and then signed with Karen in 2019 at Arenda Books and then Waiting Rooms came out in 2020 so which is quite fast by industry standards but it still just to me seems to just everything takes forever and we should talk a bit uh, well briefly but uh, about Arenda Books because you mentioned this word indie publisher and some people might not know you know the differences with publishers but Arenda is a, a an independent publisher that produces some really high quality original writing I I would say would that be your take on it yes definitely because I think the thing with an indie um is they're prepared to take more risks so I think you know um I was out on submission and obviously you know you go out to everyone you go out to all the big guys and I you know the editors loved it um they loved the waiting rooms but it didn't make the acquisitions right because the thing that what I write is cross genre and the genre thing just became a bit of a bet noir for me, is that, you know, I was told by some agents, you know, you, you need to be clear about where you sit, which I do understand. But also at the same time, I wanted to write what I was writing, you know, hopefully a, a thriller, but a thriller with uh, a speculative edge to it, you know, a what if. And so some publishers just don't like it unless you fit very neatly into a genre and I understand why because some readers come to something and they want to know what they're going to get you know and I've seen that in some reviews people have gone well I thought it was going to be a high concept up here and then you started going on about these families down here so so you know some readers that's what they expect but actually my experience has been that the majority of readers have loved the way that it combines thriller and uh, this sort of speculative world that they wouldn't necessarily normally read because people have got very fixed views about science fiction and, and science fiction fans being right over here and thrillers being over here but actually hybrid books I find are really interesting I love I love cross genre books because you, you're always surprised you know at the end of the day it's fiction so yes yeah, so that's a um, so that's one aspect of being with an India that I really love and I also think you probably have a lot more involvement in decision making than you would with a big publisher you know with the book without with the book covers um, Karen, my, my publisher, will send me a choice of five, right? And so we get to t- talk about them. And, I, you know, I always sit around the table with my, with my family. <laughs> we do a little vote. Most of the time, like the last two covers, thank God we've agreed, with possibly one exception. Um, and, then, and then, of course, it goes to your agent. And, and you can feed back and say what you like. Um, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, I've not I've actually not disagreed with Karen yet on on covers. It's just been, yep, it's that one. It's that one. So I do think that's an advantage to being with an indie. Obviously, the disadvantage is you don't necessarily, you know, get your W.H. Smith deals and, uh, you know, your exclusive editions. But a lot of authors with big publishers don't get those either unless you're in the chosen few. You know, I'm just really happy that um, I've been published with Karen and I think she's a brilliant publisher. Mm. She, she's she got such a passion for books, which is wonderful. Um, my last question, if you could go back and whisper in your ear when you were writing your first book, what would you whisper? I would just say, you know, no, believe you can do it. You can do it. But you've got to be in the game. 
<laughs> so it's no good giving up. You've got to stay in it to win it. Well, and we're very glad you didn't give up because it's a great book. And we look forward to your next one. So Eve Smith, whose latest book is Off Target. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Philippa. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the next book is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I have seen the cover of this book. It's split into four squares and uh, different colours, blue, yellow, green and red. I love this book. I have finished this book this morning and I will be immediately taking it to my mother for her to read. I know exactly which of her friends she needs to pass it to. And then I want it back because it's it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. This is 10 out of 10 and more great. OK, here we go. Here's the blurb on this one. Chemist Elizabeth Zott is not your average woman. In fact, Elizabeth Zott would be the first to point out there is no such thing. But it's the early 1960s and her all-male team at Hastings Research Institute take a very unscientific view of equality, except for one, Calvin Evans, the lonely, brilliant, Nobel Prize nominated grudge holder who falls in love with, of all things, her mind. True chemistry results. But like science, life is unpredictable, which is why a few years later, Elizabeth Zott finds herself not only a single mother, but the reluctant star of America's most beloved cooking show, Supper at Six. Elizabeth's unusual approach to cooking, combine one tablespoon acid with a pinch of sodium chloride, provides revolutionary 
But as her following grows, not everyone is happy because it, it turns out Elizabeth Zott isn't just teaching women to cook. She's daring them to change the status quo. Meet the unconventional, uncompromising Elizabeth Zott. Uh, let's do first sentence. Uh, November 1961. Back in 1961, when women wore shirtwaist dresses and joined garden clubs and drove legions of children around in seatbeltless cars without giving it a second thought, back before anyone knew there'd even be a 60s movement, much less one that its participants would spend the next 60 years chronicling, back when the big wars were over and the secret wars had just begun and people were starting to think fresh and believe everything was possible... The 30-year-old mother of Madeleine Zott rose before dawn every morning and felt certain of just one thing. Her life was over. When I got this book, it arrived in the post and I was very excited and I actually sat down on the stairs to open the parcel to see what it was. And when I saw it was this book, I continued to sit on the stairs and just started reading it. And I'm so glad I did because it's... Uh, whatever type of book... It's, it's not Mrs... Miss Benson's Beetle. It's not that at all. But it's about a woman in a man's society. It's about someone who is a, a unique character and good for them and their life and what a difference it makes. It's an inspiring book. I have taken a photo of page 360. If you get yourself a copy, please read it. It's the paragraph started starting... Uh, whenever you start doubting yourself, um, it almost brought me to tears. I think it's a great book. People need to read this book and celebrate this book because it's fabulous. And uh, yes, love it, love it, love it. I think I've said enough on that book. And now we go to another book that I really love. And I've written in my notes here, 10, 10 out of 10. So you've got another one you've got to acquire, I'm afraid. And this one is The Key in the Lock. Now, I got this. I was just in a bookshop. Would you believe it? Stumbled into a bookshop, having a look round, saw this one, read the blurb and just it, it talked to me. I don't know what it was about the book. It's a historical one. I'm not into the historical. But I was just like, yeah, this this book's coming home with me. And I'm so glad I did because it surprised me and I loved it. Here we go. I cannot say where it will end, but I know perfectly well where it began. By day, Ivy... Now, I can't I can't pronounce a surname, I've just realised, having read this book. Boscarwen. Boscarwen? Boscarwen. OK, should we try that again? Let's try that again, Philippa. <laughs> by day, Ivy Boscarwen mourns the loss of her son Tim in the Great War. But by night, she mourns another boy, one whose death decades ago haunts her still. For Ivy fears that there is more to what happened all those years ago, the fire at Polneath House and the terrible events that came after, a truth she must uncover if she is ever to be free. Now, I didn't realise when I started reading it that it's by the, the author who wrote The Witchfinder's Sister, um, which I quite enjoyed, but I enjoyed this one much more, and I hope I'll be forgiven for saying that. Let's do the first sentence. Oh, yes, I'll read you the first paragraph because it reminded me a bit of Rebecca this paragraph but the book isn't like Rebecca anyway come on Philippa come on I still dream every night of Polneath on fire smoke unraveling from an upper window and the terrace bathed in a hectic orange light and every morning I wake convinced that Tim is under my bed 
Okay, I have written, because I read this book a couple of weeks ago, I've written evocative, it's crime, it's historical, wow, 10 plus out of 10, read it now. I have written it slow for less than 300 pages. It's a slow read, but you you can't rush it. It's like lessons in chemistry. You can't rush it, but you just know you're going to be rewarded for the for the journey. Um, you've got reveals along the way. I, I was utterly enchanted with it. Um, yes, absolutely superb. So, yeah, there's another book I really loved. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> anyway, then we go to Still Life by Val McDermott. Now, we've had Val on recently, and this was a book chosen by one of the book clubs I go to. And it's interesting because this book is partway through a series. Now, you know me, I love a crime series. So for this, it um, would fit in very well. But I think the only issue was those people in the book club that don't read crime series and still life, I think it's like number six in the series. They were just they really enjoyed the book, but they were struggling with um, how much happened in the book and the the principal characters and how they're such a main focus of it. But as we agreed that that is what a crime series is is all about it's got the main characters and then it's got these crimes for them to solve but it's all the progression as it goes along and this book just reinforced to me that I need to read every Val McDermott book there is because I really enjoyed it um let me read you the blurb of this one on a freezing winter morning fishermen pull a body from the sea it is quickly discovered that the dead man was the prime suspect in a decade-old investigation when a prominent civil servant disappeared without trace DCI Karen Perry was the last detective to review the file and is drawn into a sinister world of betrayal and dark secrets. But Karen is already grappling with another case, one with even more questions and fewer answers. A skeleton has been discovered in an abandoned camper van and all clues point to a killer who never faced justice, a killer who is still out there. In her search for the truth, Karen uncovers a network of lies that has gone unchallenged for years. But lies and secrets can turn deadly when someone is determined to keep them hidden for good. Let's just do the first sentence of this one. Prologue, Saturday, 15th of February, 2020. Bill Watson cast off from the quay without the faintest flicker of a premonition. He knows the 23-foot creel boat out into the East Harbour's main channel with casual familiarity. The morning was no different from countless others. Bitterly cold, a sharp northerly wind slicing through flesh and making his cheekbones ache. Um, I really enjoyed it. I love the food references. It made me very hungry, particularly fish and chips I'd like to go and eat now. And I need to go back and start at the beginning of this series and then just be with Karen Pirrie on her journey because I am a firm fan. Uh, if you like crime series, you're just going to love this book. Um, so, yes, very good. Now, the last book is The Seven Sisters by Lucinda Riley. I appreciate this book was published a long time ago and there are lots of people that absolutely love it. So I thought, right, this is a book that so many people say they love. It's the start of a series. Let's have a read of it. It's 640, 650 pages long. Oh, no, that's the beginning of the next one. So it's 620 something pages long. It's a big book. Let's not doubt that. It's a big book. OK, let's go for the blurb. Um, 
Now, I've forgotten how to pronounce her name because it's so long since I read it, but I'm going to go for Maya and her five sisters gathered together at their childhood home, a fabulous secluded castle situated on the shores of Lake Geneva, having been told that their beloved adopted father, the elusive billionaire they call Par Salt, has died. Each of them is handed a tantalising clue to their true heritage, a clue which takes Maya across the world to a crumbling mansion in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. 80 years earlier, in the Belle Epoque of Rio, 1927, Isabella Bonifacio's father has aspirations for his daughter to marry into aristocracy. But Isabella longs for adventure and convinces him to allow her to accompany the family of a renowned architect on a trip to Paris. In the heady, vibrant streets, she meets ambitious young sculptor Laurent Brulli and knows at once that her life will never be the same again. Sorry, I've probably pronounced all of that wrong. Um... But let's go. Chapter one. I will always remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I heard that my father had died. Um, so I was really, uh, to begin with, I was really into this book because you've got this mystery. This guy's died. He's quite elusive. There are these sisters. Um, is there a missing sister? What's the story there? How did they all come to to be there? It, it, it's just very intriguing and I liked that then clearly this book deals with the the history and the mystery of the first sister and presumably each book will do so with a different sister in the series um, so that was all great but I just found so much of it was about something that yes was a part of her history but wasn't it wasn't direct. I just thought, I'm really investing in this story. Oh, but now I'm pulled out of it. And now I've got to invest in a different story. So uh, did it jar? I, yeah, I just... Well, of course, the correct thing to tell you is, yes, I have got the next book to read in the series. So it wasn't bad. I just... I'd be interested to read the next one to find out if I have to invest in another story which turns out to be relatives so long ago that it doesn't directly impact. I'm not sure. Anyway, we will see. Do let me know what you think. Am I the only person that thinks this? Most probably. You never know. Anyway, we've gone on. There have been lots of lovely books. Let me just have a look at them again and tell you. We've got Off Target by Eve Smith. and It was great to talk to Eve today. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, The Key in the Lock by Beth Underdown, Still Life by Val McDermott and The Seven Sisters by Lucinda Riley. That, that's your lot. Go out, acquire as many of those as you possibly can um, and let me know what you what you thought because crikey. There were some books I was just thrilled to read. You know, sometimes you're reading a book, you think, oh, this is such a hard slog and willing yourself to keep reading. So it's over. No, um, there are some of those books that I will be rereading again and again. It's glorious. Anyway, there we go. Enough about me. <laughs> Take care. Look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.